you're listening to KHOL. This is a special bonus episode of Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. This summer, we're excited to share our new limited podcast series called Facets, Voices of the Mountain Life, created in partnership with Steo and the Jackson Unpacked feed. In five episodes, Facets explores the passions, tensions, and healing that people find while living in a mountain town. Without further ado, here's episode one, Bears, Berries, and Brews. Welcome to Facets. This new limited podcast series created by KHOL and Steo features stories told by original voices of the mountain life. Educators, athletes, entrepreneurs, laborers, scientists, and ski bums drawn to live in the mountains shed light on the many aspects of humans living close to nature. In five episodes, Facets explores the passions, tensions, and healing that people find while living in a mountain town. In this episode, KHOL's Emily Cohen talks with the founders of Farmstead Cider, a company at the intersection of fauna, fruit, and fermentation here in Jackson Hole. Oh my God, they're delicious. For the first apricot in Teton County I've ever eaten? Absolutely. I think they're outstanding. Wow. It's huge, too. It's an August morning in Jackson, Wyoming. We're in Liz Barrett's backyard, standing in the shade of a 30-foot apricot tree, bursting with fruit. When you said apricot tree, I was like, all right, it's going to be this like little tree that someone planted a couple years ago. I didn't realize it'd be like a 30-foot apricot tree. Let's <laughs> load it. Oh, my God. My partner Ian would be freaking out right now. Just full, full insanity. He's, he's That's Orion Bellarado. Bellarado is in his mid-30s and is at least six feet tall. But still not tall enough to shake all the branches of the apricot tree. He's holding a 15-foot panking stick, which he uses to knock down the ripe fruit onto a tarp spread underneath the tree's canopy. The stick is really just a long pole, with a grip on one end to make it easier to whack the branches. Bellarado and his partner Ian McGregor started Farmstead Cider in 2017. They are two Jackson locals, born and bred. They make cider with fruit harvested from backyards in Teton County, mostly crab apples, occasionally cherries, and for the first time this past summer, apricots. You know, what we're seeing with climate change is we're going to be seeing longer distances between our frosts. We're going to be seeing um, more intense heat. I mean, that's probably what happened here is like they didn't, it was hot enough and there wasn't a frost. And so they, they, they flowered and they fruited. A lot of times they'll flower, but they won't fruit. Apricots aren't a typical fruit in this northwest corner of Wyoming. They're more common in, say, California's Central Valley. Here in Teton County, we're better known for having nine months of winter and three months of bad skiing. But climate change is changing that. We live today. Things are getting weirder. Fires are forcing thousands of families to evacuate. What are level this morning in Nevada's Lake Mead is the record low of about 37%. Hazy skies in the distance, particularly in the hills, and they wonder how long it might go on. Mostly, climate change in the Tetons looks like drought and hot, smoky skies. 
The summer of 2021 was the second hottest on record for the county dating back to 1895. Temperatures were almost four degrees above the long-term average. The new apricot crop was one of the few bright spots in a summer that otherwise left locals running for the hills and the rivers and the lakes. Farmstead Cider was founded out of a passion for both agriculture and local food, but the business model serves another purpose as well. Morgan Graham is the GIS and wildlife specialist of the Teton Conservation District, a local government entity that works on natural resource stewardship. He explains how the district partnered with Farmstead when he and his colleagues were looking for ways to help mitigate human-wildlife conflicts and to promote human-wildlife coexistence. I had a conversation with Wyoming Game and Fish Department when I first started at TCD six years ago, and the reason for that meeting was to just ask them what they were working on, what they could use support on, and almost in a joking manner, Game and Fish said, if we could just get rid of all the crab apples, my life would be a lot easier. According to Graham, in 2015, Game and Fish had fielded over 30 calls from residents about black bears on fruiting crab apple trees. And that year wasn't an anomaly. Basically, bears were being chummed into developed areas that were on irrigation and where the natural berry crop had crashed out in the wilderness. Any place that had supplemental water was congregating these bears. It's also not just black bears snacking on fruit around town. Justin Schwabedison, a bear biologist in nearby Grand Teton National Park, says more and more grizzlies are also venturing into areas where humans live. A lot more bears that were maybe born and raised here in Grand Teton start to disperse outside of the park. And because Yellowstone National Park is also considered to be saturated with grizzlies, a lot of these younger bears are going to be pushed south. Um, They're just looking for their own home range that they could set up and the resources that they need to survive. It just happens that the developments here in Jackson Hole are kind of in that path. The growing presence of bears also spilled over into public discourse this year as the famed grizzly 399 and her cubs got into garbage all over Teton County. The problem is we are baiting both grizzlies and black bears into our neighborhoods by having unsecured trash and other food attractants. It's amazing to me that a human has not yet been seriously injured or even killed by a bear or other large mammal here while they protect human food sources. Years earlier, Belorado and McGregor, the Cider Guys, had seen an opportunity in all the rotting and fermenting fruit that bears and other animals love to feast on. And so if you think about like all this food that's good, just essentially falling and going to waste, when it starts fermenting, like animals love booze as much as we do. A moose in Sweden apparently became drunk while eating fermented apples. Yes, this is what happened. The moose went back for more, got stuck in a tree in Sweden. They, they had to cut down the tree. And then also, once again, like then you have an intoxicated moose, deer, elk, whatever, squirrel. The guys pitched their idea to harvest fruit from trees on private property in Teton County to the Teton Conservation District. So it almost feels a little bit like Shark Tank. Their pitch worked, and the Conservation District awarded them a grant to help get the project off the ground. Belorado's business partner, Ian McGregor, brought the agricultural experience to their ventures. 
McGregor worked for a vineyard in California after college and had dabbled in local agriculture here since moving back to Jackson. But I had given up on my fermentation dreams, sort of the winemaking experience and the idea of vineyards didn't really have a future here until uh, Orion got a, a fruit press, a little tiny basket press for his wedding registry. That's when McGregor started experimenting with his friend's gift. I couldn't believe that they had that on their registry at all, but uh, I was like, well, let's press some, something with it. And uh, we started seeing all the crab apples that I've been playing with and throwing at my friends since I was a kid. And I just realized, like, there's definitely juice in these and definitely some sugar. Like, let's see what's in here. There is a lot of sugar in all these crab apples. You just can't taste it because it's underneath tannin and acidity and your tongue is kind of pickled before you can taste the sweetness. But when you measure the sugar, you realize that there's way more than normal apples at the grocery store, way more potential alcohol in a fermentation. McGregor explains that the tannins and acids in crab apples aren't all that different from what you'd find in a wine grape. You know, wine grapes are often really thick skins and kind of slimy insides and seeds, and they're not the best for eating fresh. But they have all these attributes that, when fermented, become, you know, give wine that character that we look for when we drink it. So the raw materials were there, but when McGregor pressed his first batch of apples, it didn't turn out exactly as he had hoped. It was terrible. It just tasted absolutely terrible. We weren't sure if we could do anything with it. It felt like it was going to burn the enamel off my teeth. Luckily, with a little more experimentation and extra motivation from the Conservation District's grant, the fledgling business decided to keep at it. And only by sort of being forced to use fruit that we would have otherwise avoided— uh, because of the the bear situation, were we able to discover that if you put, you know, crab apple juice in a barrel and let it age and let not just yeast ferment the sugar into alcohol, but also let bacterias ferment the acids from one acid into another, like once those other conversions happened, we saw a transformation from something really astringent and basically undrinkable into the ciders that we make now. Something that's it's not the buttery flavors that you get from a Chardonnay, but it's a similar mellowing and creaminess that comes from that, those other fermentations. And so it was like this huge discovery that honestly, we might have just kept going along avoiding those fruits if it hadn't been for the impetus created through the relationship with the conservation district. We met up with Bellarado a few days after the apricot harvest in the farmstead production room where it was time to start the fermentation process. Instead of stomping on the fruit with bare feet, like one might imagine with a grape harvest, Bellarado pours the apricots into a bucket and starts smashing the fruit with two two-by-four wood boards. Seeing as these inch-long um, apricots getting kind of mushed into a pulp. And this is how we do like really small batches and also how we first started doing it, which is hilarious because this is actually like the accepted micro batch technique for a lot of it what do you do with larger batches um see that yellow thing right there mm -hmm. that's a blender attached to a jet engine mm -hmm. Mm. Um, and that that'll do about a ton of apples per hour um, which is a lot. a lot and so when we're going you should come back when we're harvesting it is. Yeah. The apricot cider won't be ready for a bit, but with a tasting room just upstairs, an apple cider sounds pretty tasty. 
Farmstead Cider's production space and tasting room is next to The Bird, a favorite local bar, and overlooks the southern end of the Teton Range. The tasting room is about 40 square feet, replete with a bar, a couple of chairs, and a few taps. It sits above their cellars, where they mash the fruit, press it, and let it ferment. Empty crates of fruit and empty cakes of cider are piled high outside. Cheers. Is there a particular way to drink it? Um, so, I mean, technically it's a wine, so you can do, you can be as fancy as you want, or you could just down the hatch, it's your choice. But, you know, it's kind of the standard thing, swish it around, open it up, and give it a good strong sniff. I like it, though, to be frank, my palate isn't super refined, and it all tastes good to me. This is our Kelly Street. This is our award-winning cider. Um, we just lobbed it in for a competition in San Francisco, and we won. Kelly Street is one of the main roads in town, running parallel to the local ski hill Snow King, which overlooks town from a steep 1,500 feet up. We live in a crazy place, and we're drinking crazy cider. So, next one is the Bitter Local. Super interesting flavors, very tannic, um, bitter apples. Not at all like any of the locals I know, you know. Hanging in the tree, a little weathered, mildly bitter, but very sweet once you get past the bitterness. Yeah. You know, it very takes a little time. It does, it takes time, and then they just become these amazing, delicious ciders, uh, people, uh, <laughs> ciders, I mean. Um, but yeah, this one Farmstead is the only cidery currently in Wyoming, and according to Bellarado, also the only legal cidery ever located in the state. 130 years ago, there was a, a hooch maker in Lander named Ed Young, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unusual because Wyoming is perceived as a place that you cannot grow fruit from trees. But the reality is that we have this amazing high-altitude apple culture. And it's only getting started. You know, like, there's varieties that are 130 years old that predate prohibition in Lander. Bellarado also says Wyoming shouldn't sleep on apples as the state looks for ways to diversify its economy. Demand is such that Wyoming could be a cider-producing state. You know, it could be, you know, we could be producing apples. We could be producing, the rest of the state has plenty of apple orchards, plenty of apple experience and interest. And that could be like, just like grains and cattle and any of these large industries. You know, this is a specialty food. Other organizations, like Slow Food in the Tetons, which advocates for increasing the amount of food being grown locally, are also working towards that end. The idea is that food grown closer to home is healthier for both our bodies and our planet. For Bellarado and McGregor, Farmstead is about great cider, but it's also about experimentation and questioning norms about what a place is and how to contribute to a community. I grew up here, and... I grew up really thinking that agriculture was one thing and it was, you know, cows and then growing grasses to feed those cows. And I did work in a bunch of different agricultural settings as a kid here and there. And I just, it didn't really jive with me. I didn't picture myself getting into agriculture in general. But when I went off to college, I went to college in upstate New York and uh, surrounded by tons of apple orchards, believe it or not, it was apples then too. And uh, I just realized there was this whole different pace, this whole different approach to different types of agriculture, as well as the idea behind, you know, one version of 
farming can be destructive and other versions can be beneficial to the environment. And so realizing that there were all these different approaches, I sort of I sort of understood that there was a whole rabbit hole to go down. Uh, but I always wanted to move back to be near family and things like that. So ultimately, I said, well, I think I think I can grow some things and it's worth going back there. And honestly, all my experiences maybe will be able to bring a new perspective to the agricultural scene here. With McGregor and Bellarado's infectious charisma, they also found it wasn't too hard to get people to buy into their vision. Feels It feels really good. I will say that there's something about being able to tell the story that's always been paramount to Orion and I in our entrepreneurial endeavors. And so we're both storytellers. Like we've always we've always been interested in the story behind things that we consume and always interested in the story behind what we've been selling to people. And we realized that, you know, if you can tell a genuine, authentic story about something that you care about, it's not like you're selling your product anymore. It's more of just sharing your passion. There's so many sides to your business. There's the story that you talked about, that motivation and feeling this connection to a place. There's the motivation of agriculture and being interested in local food production. And then there's the motivation of uh, trying to address this issue of bear attractants or wildlife attractants. What for you is like the real motivation behind this? Well, when you talk about the layers to our business, we, we named it Farmstead Wyoming instead of Farmstead Cider at the beginning and still have that because we want to do lots of different things <clears throat> that connect people to the the products they consume. So that's sort of the driving force is helping people foster a connection to what they're putting in their bodies and what that product has, what effect that has on, say, the environment or the people producing it or any number of, you know, other factors that go beyond what you think of when you just open a bottle and drink it. And it's not just the life cycle of the cider that they're trying to bring awareness to but also a new appreciation for trees that have been seen as problematic into something that can be beneficial. Putting that here. And that's something we can all toast to. For KHOL and Steo, I'm Emily Cohen. This episode was made in collaboration with Steo, stewards of the mountain life. It was reported and produced by Emily Cohen. Kyle Mackey and Will Walkie provided editorial and production support. Music scoring by Sheena and Jacob Ferguson. Creative direction and executive production provided by Steos Liz Barrett and Jesse Vanderlinden. Facets logo design by Kika McFarland.